Hello, friend. This is Taylor with an exciting and important announcement before this episode begins. For the past few years, I've gotten lots of requests from men in my courses for an in-person workshop or retreat. And I'm happy to say that this year it's finally happening in the beautiful mountains just outside of Asheville on July 11th through the 14th. And it includes a nine-week online men's group and training that starts three weeks before the retreat to help us integrate the work we're going to be doing together into our regular everyday lives. The program is called Liberate Your Life Force, and it's for any man who wants to feel truly vital and alive and liberated in his life on a daily basis in things like sex, relationships, in your family, in your business, and with your mission and purpose in life. Yes, <laughs> let's take a breath to that. <sighs> mm. I am co-facilitating this program with my good friend Thomas Duchin, and we've created this program based on our years of working with hundreds of men and figuring out some of the most effective and powerful ways to help us break through the most common ways men get blocked in life, with things like sexual shame, emotional closure and numbness, being the lone wolf, being the nice guy, difficulty receiving, and so many more ways that we hold ourselves back. The good news is we can actually work through these things and come out way stronger on the other side, especially when supported by a group of men and in-person processes that challenge you to become your best self. If this is something that sounds good to you, you can go to my website and click the retreat menu option to learn more. And know that enrollment is first come, first serve by application only, and it's limited to just 18 men, so we can have a truly powerful and tight-knit group. It's going to be profound, it's going to be fun, it's going to be challenging, and I'm so excited to share it with you and the group of men who have already signed up. So if you're interested, again, check out my website. And with all that being said, let's get into today's episode. So that is the window Taylor is talking about when he says, okay, I've ovulated, I've seen those days pass, those three days pass, now I'm in my luteal phase or what's called my post-ovulatory phase that will last anywhere from about 10 to 14 days, mine's about 12 days on average, and during that time I can have unprotected sex, including Taylor ejaculating inside of me, with zero chance of getting pregnant. Boom. Hello, friend, and welcome to the Eros Rising podcast, a podcast for men all about sex, where we'll combine real, authentic, down-to-earth conversations about sex with some pretty wild personal stories and practical how-to episodes as well to help you have the most amazing sex life you can possibly have. My name is Taylor, and I'll be your host on this journey. And in each episode, it's my goal to give you practical, actionable things that you can start doing today to improve your sex life and to improve your entire life because your sex life is directly linked to the quality of your entire life. So let's begin today's episode by taking a deep breath in together through the nose and exhale with an audible sigh. And let's begin today's episode. Welcome to today's podcast. We have a really special episode today. I'm joined for the first time ever by my partner, Naima Pierce, who is a pelvic specialist and a sex coach for women who also happens to be an expert at birth control, understanding birth control and helping women get off of hormonal birth control. So it's I'm super excited to be here with you. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, and today... We're going to share some really interesting stuff about birth control, really interesting statistics about the effectiveness of different kinds of birth control, the risks of hormonal birth control, some alternative natural birth control options. We're going to talk about our own personal sex life and the kind of natural birth control that we use. And I do want to preface this and say that all the statistics we're going to share in this episode come from peer-reviewed studies and or established medical websites. So we're not just pulling stuff out of thin air here. All this stuff is legit and real. And also want to say to not attempt anything that we say in this episode without doing some more research first or getting one of Naima's guides, or at least making sure you really understand natural birth control before you attempt it, because the stakes are pretty high. Would you say? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you don't want a baby, you better be careful. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's all take a deep breath together. 
<sighs> and I thought we could start by sharing a semi-embarrassing but probably relatable story with most of you. I remember when I was younger, there was a time I was sexual with a woman and my penis just barely touched the opening of her vagina. And I thought, oh, fuck, she's pregnant. Oh, no, <laughs> she must be pregnant. Ah, terrible. Like, I've ruined my life. Like, all this stuff happened in my brain. And I, I don't remember, actually, when it was that I started to really understand how the female reproductive system worked and how fertility actually worked. But I used to think that women were able to get pregnant immediately all the time. And so I thought it could be great if you could start with just an overview of how that works. Are women available to get pregnant all the time? Yeah, the answer is no, absolutely not. Women are only fertile about six days of their menstrual cycle. And really, actually, we're only fertile about 48 hours. But in, in terms of that, how long our egg that is ovulated stays alive for. But the extra few days in there are actually taking into account the man's sperm, if we were to be exposed to sperm. So the short answer is no, women are only fertile about six days of their cycle and taking into account these days for men's sperm to be viable as well inside of our bodies. And the rest of the time, it's pretty low stakes for you to get pregnant. And there's actually times in your cycle where it is impossible for you to get pregnant. Hmm. Great. And we're going to talk about how to identify those times. So this seems like some pretty important stuff to know as sexual beings. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you could go into a little bit more about that. Like, why is this so important to understand? I'm sure there's some more to it than just, oh, you're fertile and now you're not fertile. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the reasons why I got so passionate about helping women to understand their reproductive cycles as a whole and their menstrual cycles, because there's a couple of different levels to this. So like one level, it's just like, it is incredibly empowering and liberating and freeing to understand your hormonal physiology and why your body is the way it is. Because our hormones dictate a lot of our personalities and a lot of the ways, a lot of the reasons why we feel what we feel on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm speaking specifically for women here. And so there's, in understanding your physiology, in understanding your hormonal sequencing that's happening across your menstrual cycle, which varies incredibly day-to-day, -day, it gives you this greater sense of understanding yourself of like why you are the way you are why you feel the way you feel and yeah it's liberating to have that like deeper in-depth personal understanding it helps you to be more empathetic and compassionate and empowered within yourself and then as well from this place of also for me learning about menstrual cycle awareness and my cycle overall helped me to feel like more deeply connected to the world at large and to the universe at large because there's such a clear correlation between the seasons or the phases of a woman's menstrual cycle in correlation to the seasons and phases of the earth cycles and how the earth turns and how the cosmos flow and like having that like really concrete understanding of my innate connection to all of life is incredible. And it's just like this awe striking wildness of just feeling that intrinsic, intrinsic connection here. So there's this deeper internal understanding that I've really gleaned from this. There's this external connection I've felt. And then there's also the really practical nature of like, I can, I feel so much more safer and freer in exploring my sexuality because I'm not doing so from a fear-based standpoint anymore. And I feel so in control of what, what I'm doing and the choices I'm making. Can you say some more about that when you say you're not doing this from a fear-based perspective? Is this just fear of pregnancy? Yeah. So like, I think it's one of what I've experienced from all my students and just like my friendships with different women in the world. It's like one of the most common inhibitors, I think, from women having a thriving sexual life is the fear of getting pregnant when they don't mm -hmm. want to be pregnant. And that takes them out of the moment. It takes them into their heads more and the inability to feel the type of pleasure and presence that they want in their sex lives. That's probably number one thing that I hear from women all the time. And so when you're approaching sex with like this degree of fear constantly running through your body or this low grade, even if it's you know high or low grade concern of you potentially getting pregnant, like that's going to dramatically 
change your experience having sex. So for me, having the understanding of my body now and understanding when I'm fertile and when I'm not fertile, it's like I clearly know what choices to make when I'm stepping into a sexual experience. And there's no like guessing that I'm having. There's no wondering if I'm safe or not. And that immediately puts me into deeper presence. And I'm showing up from a place of yes, then rather than no, like, no, I don't want to get pregnant. It's like, yes, I want to be here in this sexual experience. Mm. Yum. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're a guy listening to this, it should be getting pretty apparent that this is really important for you to understand also, Mm -hmm. not just for the better sex life, but for the connection you can experience with your partner. And if you're a guy who is not interested in women, then you at least have female friends and it's really helpful to be able to understand their lives as well. Yeah. I would, I would love to say now, even at the beginning of this podcast here, like, yes, we're talking about women and birth control and pregnancy, but it doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, man, woman, like this is knowledge for everybody to have. And this is one of the reasons the one of the reasons why it's so important for everybody to have this knowledge is because if you look around and see what's going on in the world there's a lot of debate about women's health and Mm -hmm. women's sexuality and their reproductive rights so like it's time for everyone to have this information and everyone to be on board with this knowledge yeah boom 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 Mm -hmm. making it happen so on that note you are not on any form of hormonal birth control or iud correct correct and what would you say that we do? I use I use birth control. The yeah. birth control that I use is something called the fertility awareness method, which is a method of charting my cycles, natural biomarkers and hormonal sequencing across my cycle. Um, I do this on paper. I can explain more about how it works. And that is the birth control that I use. Tracking your temperature? Yes. Well, it's many it's things. Many things. Yeah. And so personally... I practice semen retention, which by itself is not the greatest form of birth control. But when these two things are in combination, the success percentages are pretty high. And just last week, actually, I went and got a sperm analysis, a semen analysis test done on myself to see if I was actually fertile because we've been having sex for almost three years now. And semi-regularly, I will ejaculate inside Naima with intention according to the cycle and where she is in her cycle and, and we have not gotten pregnant over these three years, and we're we both know that we're fertile, mm-hmm. you know. And you were you got a pregnancy in a previous relationship and had an abortion, so we have evidence to support this, and so that means we've been successful so far. Yep, which is awesome. Yes, and not by chance. Like very clearly successful based on our intentional choices. Yeah, not which, by chance at all. Yeah, which is why Taylor made this this uh, did this semen analysis recently because I'll tell you what, if you go to his YouTube channel and read some of the comments on some of the videos, it's freaking hilarious. But there's a lot of people out there really like debating us whether what we're doing is you know safe or not. Yeah, I've got, I've received a number of challenges from people saying, Taylor, you're actually infertile. You're just shooting blanks. There's no way that's possible. No way that's possible. And I want to add a clarification here because I made a YouTube video about this topic and somebody asked me in a comment on that video, they said, Taylor, is it possible that because Naima had this abortion that somehow the abortion impacted her ability to get pregnant in the future, that somehow the abortion damaged her fertility? And the answer to that is no. It's very, very, very rare that an abortion will impact somebody's ability to get pregnant. And usually that'll happen in later stage abortions when the procedure is surgically done. But almost all abortions that are done in a safe way do not impact future fertility. And that's a useful point to know. And so we did some, well, Naima has already done this. I did some research over the past couple of days too about the different statistics of the effectiveness of different kinds of birth control. And this specific methodology of the fertility awareness method is highly, highly effective. And then when you compare it to the other practices like condom use and the, the patch and the pill, it's pretty astounding. So I'd like to share some of those percentages with you right now. So let's take condoms, for example. The perfect use, if you were to use a condom perfectly, the effectiveness rate is 98%. But the typical use rate, the typical effectiveness rate of condom use is about 85%, meaning this is what most people actually do. They don't do it perfectly. Therefore, roughly 15% of people over time who use condoms as their main form of birth control will get pregnant. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so condoms are great. I love condoms. They are in the category of barrier methods. And another barrier method I want to give a shout out to is the diaphragm. It truly is one of my favorite barrier methods to use. The diaphragm is a soft latex silicone device. You insert it into your vagina and it covers your cervix by sealing around the edges of your vaginal wall. So it creates a barrier. So you insert this before sex and then you leave it in for about six hours afterwards. Now with the diaphragm, there's some nuance to this in that I would never use the diaphragm like I would maybe use a condom. Like I would never have my partner ejaculating inside of me while I'm in my fertile window because the diaphragm does not have that high of an effectiveness rate. The typical use effectiveness rate is 88%. The perfect use is 94%, but let's be real. You know, we're human and sometimes we don't always put it in the right way. So the thing that I want to highlight the most with the diaphragm is that what I love about it is that it's a great barrier method to use while you're in your fertile window to prevent pre-cum from getting you pregnant. So the diaphragm should be best used in conjunction with another form of birth control like pulling out. And a lot of people will recommend using spermicide with the diaphragm too, because if any viable alive sperm get into the vaginal canal, they can live for up to four to five days supported by the woman's cervical fluid, even after you take out the diaphragm and that can get you pregnant. So there are a few different options out there for different kinds of spermicide. Naima, I think you mentioned a natural one. Yeah, the one I love is called ContraGel. It's a German brand. And also, I really recommend just Googling Kaya, C-A-Y-A. That's a great newer age diaphragm that you can get access to. Awesome. So let's move on to hormonal birth control and talk about that. Dun, dun, dun. 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 The pill has a 99% effectiveness rate with perfect use. In actuality, it's more like 93% with the typical use. And that's because people sometimes miss a pill or take it. You know, yeah, at a later time, miss a pill, something like that. Yeah, yeah. the patch, the birth control hormonal patch that people wear is 99% with perfect use, 91% with typical use. This is something I don't quite understand the typical use thing because a patch that just stays on your body. Yeah, I mean, with any of these methods of hormonal birth control that you have to do something like switch it out or take your pill or, you know, like things like that, like there's human error built into that. Some people forget to switch their patch or like it's just like they would forget to take their pill. Yeah. The hormonal IUD is 99% effective. The copper IUD is 99.4% effective. Female condoms, the perfect use rate is 95%. Typical use rate is 72%. Wow, that's pretty high, actually. I didn't know that. The pullout method (laughs) is controversial because the typical use rate is 72% effective at at preventing pregnancy, which means it fails about 30% of the time. But perfect use supposedly is 96%. Here's the interesting thing. The fertility awareness method that we use, that Naima uses where she tracks her cycle is 99.4% effective. Boom. Boom. Which is the same as the copper IUD. 99.4% effective to use fertility awareness method. Yeah. And just to be clear, it does require much more effort and awareness than having an IUD inside you. For sure. But it's important to note that it can actually be that effective. And you'll see different statistics of this online. If you look at different resources, some people say it's 97%, 98%, 96%. We're getting this figure from a study that was done in 2007 that looked at 900 women who were doing this specific method of fertility awareness tracking. And their effectiveness rate at preventing pregnancy was, yeah, 99.4%, which was amazing. Quote here, the pregnancy rate was 0.6 per 100 women, specifically when there was no unprotected intercourse within the fertile time. That means, you know, the fertile window. So that's a lot of statistics and a lot of information to take in up front. But it seemed really important to share this up front to set the stage for why we're choosing this as our natural form of birth control and why it is actually effective. Now I'd love for you, Naima, to talk about this. How do you how do you do this? How does it work? Yeah. So fertility awareness method is a for is a symptothermal method of tracking a woman's menstrual cycle. So symptothermal, meaning you track your symptoms and your thermal temperature shifts. So the symptoms or the biomarkers that I'm tracking are my cervical fluids, cervical mucus, and the cervical position in my body, as well as the temperature, the 
is what I'm tracking the basal body temperature. So it's my resting temperature when I wake up in the morning before any activity. So those are the markers that I'm tracking throughout my cycle. And these three biomarkers give you an incredible amount of information about your body and what is happening hormonally. So basically, I'm going to do like crash course in female physiology here. We have four main reproductive hormones in our body, the female body does, that increases and decreases across the course of a menstrual cycle, which is somewhere, you know, around 28 to 34-ish days, give or take some days, depending on everybody's bodies. Now, these hormones rise and fall in a way where when you track these biomarkers, you can know which hormones are present and not at different times. So um, every day I wake up in the morning, I take my basal body temperature and I record it on a chart where it's tracking this these temperature shifts across my cycle. When you are in your pre-ovulatory phase of your cycle pre-ovulation, your temperatures are always going to be lower. So they're always in about the 97.567 range. After someone ovulates in the post-ovulatory phase, your temperatures naturally spike and rise and then stay high for the rest of your cycle. And this is in this is showing the temperature shifts in accordance to the different hormonal fluctuations that are happening. So what you can see from your temperature is this very clear distinction when you see it on a chart of your pre-ovulatory temperatures from your post-ovulatory temperatures. And that is critically important because it helps you to confirm ovulation. And ovulation is the main event of a menstrual cycle. Oftentimes people think that bleeding is, but really like ovulation is the main event. That's when you have the potential to create human life. And that's the marker that we're heavily tracking to one, know if you're ovulating in general as a form of health, but two, being able to track your ovulation so you can use it as a way to prevent or to conceive if you're wanting to have a child as well. A lot of people actually get into this method when they're trying to have a baby and they're like, oh my God, I wish I would have done this 15 years ago. Um, But so fertility awareness method is tracking your three main biomarkers and understanding your hormonal fluctuations. Same thing with your cervical fluids and mucus. Your cervical fluids will change over the course of your menstrual cycle as well in response to different levels of estrogen and progesterone in your body. And it's very clear to be able to read those fluids and you track it on your cycle and you can see when you're fertile and infertile. So you're tracking where your fertile times are and where your infertile times are and then making educated choices from that information. Mm. I'm going to make a comment that's probably going to get some eye rolls from people listening, but I'm going to say, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and so, it is. Yeah. And so like, why, why would you do that if you could just take a pill every day in the morning and be fine? Because hormonal birth control has so many risk factors and it shuts down your body's natural biochemistry. So hormonal birth control is meant to suppress ovulation. Let's take the pill, for example. For, and this goes for the, the patch as well as uh, the hormonal IUDs. So <clears throat> hormonal birth control, like I said, it's meant to suppress ovulation because that's what you're trying to do is not get pregnant. Therefore, you want to take ovulation out of the picture. But when you do that, you're inherently shutting down these really innate hormonal processes in your body that are there for a reason. Like we have hormones for a reason. And those hormones give us a wide variety of benefits. And when you take those away, you're putting yourself more at risk for different health factors, as well as shutting yourself down to who you are as a person. Like I was saying, your hormones dictate so much of like how you respond in the world, how you show up, the way that your energy levels are. And when you take that away, it's like you're you're becoming this other human. So why do I take the time to learn fertility awareness method and do it for my own body, which by the way, like there's, it's kind of like riding a bike. Like you're going to put in some effort and intention at the beginning to figure out how to do this thing. But then once you figure it out, like it is like riding a bike, it's very simple to do. You get into the habit of doing it and you do it. It's not that complex. So the reason why I would choose to use fertility awareness method is because I don't shut down my body's innate processes that are there for very clear reasons. Just like most men, like if there was a hormonal birth control for men, oh my gosh, if there was like, imagine if there was an IUD for dudes. It would fuck up my testosterone That would like levels. shut down your testosterone. No way. No fucking way would men take that. Are you yeah. kidding me? But like women do it all of the time. 
Um, and I'm not hating on women for making that choice. Like I totally understand making choices that help you to feel safe. And that's important. And Taylor asked like, why do I do this? Why do I take the time? It's because I want to be me fully and be safe and be educated. Yeah. And there's another massively, massively important risk and danger of taking hormonal birth control that you might have heard of before, but you might not have heard of. And I did some research on this just to clarify within the last week, because I've gotten into some debates about this. The research supports it. And I'm going to share with you right now that research and this concept. Essentially, as a woman, if you're taking hormonal birth control, then that means your attraction system gets messed up. I'm just going to put it bluntly and say it like that. In the more scientific terms, your olfactory receptors, your smell, your nose, are going to be attracted to a mate that is the wrong biological match for you in terms of procreation. And there are two main studies that most people have heard of if they've ever heard of this before. Two main studies that inspired this. One from 2008, where women who are taking hormonal birth control, turns out they were more attracted to the scent of men who are more genetically similar to them. This means basically if you're trying to get pregnant, this is bad because similar genetics leads to a less healthy offspring and possible birth defects. And the researchers said basically this is because the pill tricks your body into thinking it's pregnant and you don't need to be able to discern who is a good mate or not. I don't know if that's, you know, I saw you just do a yeah, face Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. But, you know, and also it's like the hormonal birth control changes your pheromones. It changes the way that you smell also, just like how your own body odor might smell. And that's going to change how you, yeah, like Taylor was saying, your olfactory senses and what you perceive to be attractive or not. Yeah. The second study is from 2014. And the basic idea was that the study followed 118 couples who met while the woman was taking hormonal birth control. The researchers studied what happened when the woman came off of this hormonal birth control. Yeah. And here's the thing. A number of relationships ended. Specifically, some women found their male partner significantly less attractive once they stopped taking the hormonal birth control. Very, very, very interesting. And another interesting note to this is it was actually offset by physical attraction. So for example, if the man in the relationship was like exceedingly attractive, <laughs> then when the woman got off of birth control, she was still att attracted to him. But if he was not like really, really good looking, then the attraction dropped almost across the board, which is pretty wild. And so these are theoretical studies in the sense of like, Yes, it's showing genetic uh, similarity and dissimilarity and attraction levels. And I was having a conversation with a doctor friend earlier this year that said, okay, that's great, but where's the research showing that this actually results in less healthy offspring? And so I thought, oh, I don't know if it actually exists. And I did some research this week and found a peer-reviewed article from 2017 in the Journal of Evolutionary Psychological Science. Basically, the results from this study confirmed the researchers' predictions and showed that children to mothers who were on the pill are more infection-prone, More they require more medical care, and they suffer from a higher frequency of common sicknesses and are perceived as generally less healthy than children whose parents met while there was no hormonal birth control involved. How about that? Mm -hmm. that's pretty wild. So this actually results in less healthy children if you meet your potential mate while she's on birth control or if you're a woman while you're on hormonal birth control. Yeah, Pretty wild. So if you want to procreate, if you want to have kids, better to get off the birth control pretty quick when you're trying to meet somebody. Yeah. So what we're doing here, you know, we've gone over various different reasons why hormonal birth control is maybe not the primary, why, why we're not fans, why I'm not a fan, let's just say that, or the downsides to it. You know, yeah. Taylor's mentioning like, you might not be able to find your proper match and mate, that's going to impact your relationship quality, the quality of your children's immune systems. I've spoken to women having this innate sense of being one with themselves, being in their true bodies, because they're letting their biochemistry flow like it naturally should. And then there's just the other one too, which is like birth control risk factors that are like all over the birth control boxes that Totally. you buy, which are things like getting higher amounts of blood clots that could um, cut off vein circulation in your body and lead to things like uh, stroke, actually, which is something that does happen that it actually can lead in death. You know, it, birth control increases your chances of breast cancer or heart attack. Um, it can increase just 
symptoms that can get, I would say, like pushed to the side easily, but things like migraines or like not feeling emotionally happy or you feeling more depressed in your body because birth control shuts down these processes that actually, these hormonal processes that help to combat things like having an anxiety-free life or having a happy um, brain function in your body as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a lot. And I have talked to some women who say, I don't care. I just don't want to deal with having a period. And like, cool. Like we're all, of course, we can all make our own choices. And if you are getting to the point where you want to have kids, this seems like some pretty important stuff to consider. So let's say somebody's listening and they're thinking to themselves, wow, the hormonal birth control really doesn't sound that great. And they're also thinking, I also don't have the time and energy or desire right now to do the fertility awareness tracking. Is there an option for me? Yeah, I would recommend in that case uh, for the woman to use the copper IUD. It's a non-hormonal copper. It's a non-hormonal IUD. So you're not going to be disrupting your hormones. You still ovulate the majority of your cycles while using that IUD, which you want to be ovulating to get all those good hormones and the benefits from them. Um, and that's what I would use. There are like downsides to the IUD as well. However, if, if that's your case, that's a good one to use. And a lot of people use that and are very happy with it. And so... That's what I would recommend. I don't think that fertility awareness method is for everybody, truly. Like, I do think it's a fantastic method and I'm in full support of it. And also, the, like, one of the ways that fertility awareness method becomes so great is if, is if it actually fits into your life and if you're actually realistic with what you're going to show up for and do. Um, so if you know you're not going to show up for it and track your cycle, then that's the best method to go with. Yeah. And... Yeah, I want to say I recognize semen retention isn't for everybody either. But I do want to put this plug in and say that in the past when I have been with partners who either took hormonal birth control or had an IUD, then it enabled me to be so much more mindless with how I approached sex. And I could just ejaculate mindlessly whenever with, without intention, without any consideration at all. It was just like fair game to ejaculate whenever. And when I got into a relationship with somebody who's practicing fertility awareness, who was not on birth control of any kind, it changed, it helped me change how I had sex. Yes, I realized my own desires and my own preferences and benefits from practicing semen retention personally, internally, physiologically, but then relationally, in connection with my partner, it helped me shift everything too and, and feel the actual potential, the dangerous potential of pregnancy, but also the beautiful potential of this sexual act. Yeah, know? and it's like in my the flip side of that too, it's like, it opens up a whole new world to like other creative endeavors. For instance, it's like, like already sex isn't just about penis vagina penetration. And when it helps doing semen retention, doing the fertility awareness method, it helps you to be more in tune with what you're really saying yes to moment to moment and like what you can open up to and explore with one another. I think it opens up an opportunity for more creation, creativity in your sex life instead of just mindless, like let's just go to the thing that we always know how to do because sex is so much more than just that. And like, I think it's so juicy for people to get the opportunity to explore that with another reason in mind. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot. I want to get off hormonal birth control or I want my partner to get off hormonal birth control. What would you say, Naima? Like, how would you start? Would you just stop and, and then be done with it? Are there other things you would do? Yeah, so both and. I would say, yeah, you can stop. You can just stop taking your birth control or take your birth control out. But also... When women take birth control, oftentimes they're not just taking it for pregnancy prevention. <clears throat> a lot of the times they're also taking it because they really had terrible periods before they went on birth control or they had terrible acne or whatever the reason was for going on birth control because birth control is often hand out, handed out as a catch-all like band-aid solution for most female reproductive problems. Um, so my advice would be that if you're a woman that wants to come off of hormonal birth control, I would advise you to... Start the, the main two things I would advise is to take two different supplements before you stop coming off of birth control and start looking at your diet overall. And this is dependent upon exactly what you're wanting your outcome to be when you come off of hormonal birth control. So I actually created a guide all about this that I'll have Taylor link in the show notes to this, which is a free guide to breaking up with hormonal birth control. And it helps lay out some of these different um 
potential reasons why you chose to take birth control, whether that was for painful periods or acne or irregular cycles, whatever that is. And I lay out some really clear steps that you can start taking um, before you choose to come off of the pill or the patch or IUD or whatever it is. But overall, I'd say as a catch-all, like I would start taking magnesium and a supplement called Vitex, which is really great for regulating your progesterone levels, which is what has been shut down if you were taking hormonal birth control. Um, and yeah, you can see that PDF to learn more. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. Let's all take a deep breath in before moving to the next section. <sighs> I would love to ground this in by talking about our own sex life now. Like, what is it that we actually do? I've got some questions here from people, and before I get to those questions, let's talk about it. How do we navigate pregnancy prevention in our own sex life? Obviously, I practice semen retention. Obviously, you do the fertility awareness method, and what does that look like? Yeah, I track my cycle, and so I'm very aware of when I'm in what phase of my cycle, whether I'm in my infertile phase or fertile phase. And just to be clear, this is something I'm aware of too, and I'm tracking. I'm not tracking it on paper like Naima is tracking, but I'm tracking it in my mind. I'm remembering, okay, when did she start bleeding? When did she stop bleeding? Her cycle is generally a pretty regular cycle. I don't know if you want to say. Yeah, yeah. Taylor Taylor has a loose tracking of my cycle. He's aware more or less of where I'm at in my cycle. And then he will just ask me like, where are you at? Have you ovulated yet? Have you confirmed your ovulation to clarify? So he's loosely tracking. And I will just say like men... If you can loosely track your woman's cycle, like what a gift you could give to her, truly, 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 not just for your own um, benefits of knowing in terms of pregnancy prevention, but as well, like I was saying, when women really start to understand the different phases of their cycles and where they're at at different times, like you can start to understand your woman better as well and understanding why she might feel and be in the different states that she's in throughout her cycle. Yeah, so yeah. it's truly like some, such a gift that you could give her. And, and another thing I want to pin about that is like a lot of times people say like women are like so all over the place and they're like these you know these fluid creatures they're just like the waves they're always like crashing and flowing and all over the place and it's like actually we have like a really clear cycle with very clear changes across it and if you have the awareness of what happens across that cycle we're actually pretty easy to pinpoint at what you what we might be <laughs> feeling at different times in our cycle uh, like it's not that mysterious yeah. so it can help maybe answer some of your like mystery question mark head scratch your moments of like why why women are the way they are yeah and for example a way to build connection around it is sometimes i'll say to naima like hey you're about to ovulate aren't you you know or mm -hmm. oh you just ovulated maybe that means we're gonna have some sex soon i won't say those exact words but in my mind i'll think yeah. like oh okay she just ovulated she just confirmed it that means pretty soon depending on my own particular cycle of uh, ejaculatory frequency, we can have sex soon and I can ejaculate inside her and that can be a really beautiful connective experience for both of us. And to be able to proactively have that conversation with her shows that I'm like, interested in her life and interested in understanding her body and it builds connection. Like, And for, it's like tailored doing half half of the, it's like we're 50-50 in it. Like I'm tracking my cycle, but he's also doing his part for some of the birth control, I would say, with it, with tracking my cycle as well as the semen retention. So I imagine that when Taylor was just saying like, oh, Naima's ovulated, that means that we can have sex now and this and that. Some of you are like, well, what the hell? What does this mean? Like, how does that, how does he know that? How do they know that? And the reason being, because like I was saying at the beginning when we were talking about the basal body temperature, after I ovulate, my body, my basal body temperature raises and it will stay high for the rest of my cycle. The reason it does that is because progesterone is now flowing in my body. Progesterone is the progestation hormone. It helps to make gestation possible. Yay for babies if that's what you want. Whether or not you fertilize an egg or not, the progesterone still rides in a woman's cycle. So that makes the temperature go up. And what I'm looking for is to see consistent high temperatures for a minimum of three days after what I think was my ovulation. By, and I will notice that by sensation in my body, by tracking my cervical fluids, and by seeing this temperature shift. Once I see three consistent high temperatures 
consistent being the key word there because your temperature can raise for a variety of reasons and then fall back down whether you like stayed up late or drank alcohol or whatever it was. So when I see those three consistent high temperatures, I can say to myself, okay, absolutely, I can see that I ovulated about three days ago because my temperature will go up after I ovulate and it will stay up. Once I see those three high temperatures, I'll know I ovulated. An egg only can stay alive for a total of 24 hours or less. If it's not fertilized, it will then dissolve and die away. And then the egg is gone. Women will only ovulate once per cycle. You will never ovulate more than once. Ever, ever, ever. Never, ever, ever. I just want to make that clear. The only time you might release more than one egg inside of a cycle is if you are if you ovulate two eggs at the same time or two eggs within a 24-hour period. That is what results in fraternal twins, for example. So this is another reason why we wait three days because it takes into account the potentiality for two eggs to be ovulated, both of them to die away after 24 hours, now 48 hours, now we're on to 36 hours, or sorry, no, 24, 72 hours here. All those eggs that could have been potentially ovulated have now dissolved and died away. And now there is zero possibility Zero possibility once those eggs die away for a woman to become pregnant the rest of her cycle. That's really crucial information to understand. And this is why when people are actively trying to conceive, when they're charting their cycle or tracking their ovulation, once they've ovulated and they've tried to have sex that cycle, like that's it. There's actually no purpose in continuing to try after that because it's impossible to get pregnant. So that is the window Taylor is talking about when he says, okay, I've ovulated, I've seen those days pass, those three days pass, now I'm in my luteal phase or what's called my post-ovulatory phase that will last anywhere from about 10 to 14 days, mine's about 12 days on average, and during those ta- that time, I can have unprotected sex, including Taylor ejaculating inside of me, with zero chance of getting pregnant. Boom. And it occurred to me while you were just speaking that I think it would be really interesting to put a picture, if you're open to sharing a picture of your chart or an example chart in the mm-hmm. show notes page so people can actually see what this looks like if you've never seen one before. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just gave a lot of information there and maybe some of you are trying to like track that around your head and you're like, well, what about this? What about that? And like, that's why I created a whole course about this because it takes time to learn and to practice and to get into the habits of these things. And you're reading your chart and you're like, well, is it for sure? That's what it means when I see these temperatures. And it's like, then you get an opportunity to learn and practice. You definitely want to put these elements and tools into practice consistently for a period of time while you're not having unprotected sex to really get the hang of it. And then you can feel confident going into these situations in the future. Yeah. And based on some things that you've told me and my understanding of this too, it's not enough to think, okay, it's been two weeks since the period stopped. Now it's safe to ejaculate inside somebody. The ovulation can shift right within a cycle, depending on a variety of different factors. So it's really important to actually be able to see this on a chart and to map it out with the physiological markers. Yeah, absolutely. So like this thing of like, oh, you ovulate mid cycle more or less like that's referring that's bullshit. I'll just say like it doesn't typically happen like that. And that's actually referring to like a really outdated method of birth control that people use back in the day called the rhythm method, which is not it's like based on the rhythms of like oh a woman may has a 28 day cycle around day 14 she'll ovulate so we're going to use the rhythm method to kind of guess and estimate that she's done ovulating and people got pregnant right and left using that method so clarification the rhythm method is not the fertility awareness method of tracking your biomarkers and recording data wildly different things has an abysmal success rate yeah it's it's terrible (laughs) and i will also say too Okay, so there's a lot of period apps out there these days, you know, and it's like the new thing. A lot of women are tracking their cycles. And I think it's freaking fantastic that technology has given people a tool to use to get more people involved with their cycles. However, a lot of these apps are using an algorithm as well to predict a woman's cycle. And this is what I always say in all my courses. If you're using an app to track your cycle, you need to go into your settings and turn off all predictions because your app, your algorithm should never be predicting your cycle because your cycle can change every single month. 
You're the, the day you ovulate can change. You can ovulate late. You can ovulate early. And this is why you want to be tracking your, your biomarkers and then inputting that data into your app or to a paper chart if that's what you're using. And this helps to you, for you to have accurate data that you're constantly reading to assess when you're having sex at what times. And it also debunks this myth too, that women think that they can't use the fertility awareness method if they have irregular cycles. If you have irregular cycles, it's fine. You're going to actually be able to see what's going on in your cycle by tracking it. You're going to be able to see when you did ovulate. So you can absolutely still use this method and have wild success, even if your cycles are irregular from month to month. So just to clarify a little bit about our personal sex life, we're having sex at many points in the cycle, not just in the luteal phase like you described. We're having sex around your ovulation time, before your ovulation time, like all over the place. I'm just not ejaculating inside Naima most of the time, like mm-hmm. except when there's like express proof on the chart and then a conversation beforehand of whether or not this is something we want to experience. And that's, yeah, that's pretty important to talk about. And so you might be thinking, oh, what about Mm pre-cum? That is an interesting question. And there are studies out there that have shown that a decent percentage of men do release motile, that means healthy, sperm in their pre-cum. And so I just happen to be somebody who doesn't have much pre-cum at all. Like that's not something that I, that happens for me. And so if you're somebody who has a lot of pre-cum, then the advice that I would say would be to, yes, you can still do this method, but when you're seeing that the fertile window is coming, like start using condoms or the diaphragm or some form of additional birth control to prevent pregnancy. Mm -hmm. In those six days. So I was talking about in the beginning how a woman is fertile six days of her cycle. And so during the fertile window, you want to use some sort of barrier method that's going to keep all sperm out of your vagina and off the woman's vulva. That's like my primary rule that I like nail into people's heads in my courses. It's like, keep sperm away from your vagina and off of your vulva during the fertile window. Like if you do that, you're going to be successful. (laughs) (laughs) So then here's a question that just occurred to me. You're able to pinpoint your ovulation using this cycle tracking. Um, but can you pinpoint the beginning of the fertile window or is that more of a guess? Yes. So, The pinpointing of, so basal body temperature is what's tracking on the latter side of the cycle, so post-ovulation, and then what's tracking on the former side of the cycle is your cervical fluids or your cervical mucus. And so women's cervical fluids change throughout their menstrual cycle in accordance with the hormonal fluctuations going on. And when a woman is gearing up towards ovulation, estrogen is slowly on the rise, and that's going to trigger the cervix to start to create a type of fluid that is more like egg white inconsistency, um, more fluids are there and they're more liquidy, kind of egg whitey. They're less just like uh, what I think I would refer to as like creamy or kind of like sticky. Yeah, so and, it is possible. Yeah, so is it awesome. is possible to to determine that on the for, forward side of the cycle. And so you have the cervical fluids that you monitor on the forward side, you have your basal body temperature you monitor on the latter side, and that helps you to narrow in your fertile window and know when it's starting and when it's completing. Awesome, cool. I just, that's something that's never really occurred to me because in my mind, I'm just like no ejaculation inside Naima until the ovulation is pinpointed. Well, and I will say too, like you, the fertility awareness method will help you to ascertain the days in during your pre ovulatory time, which days you can have unprotected sex. Um, but to, for me personally, what I know works for me is not having to do that detailed intensity of tracking during my pre-ovulatory window. And I don't want to worry about whether I'm, I don't know, missing something or not, or just essentially like my rule of thumb is like, I just don't let Taylor ejaculate inside of me at any time between the first day of my cycle when I first start bleeding up until I confirm ovulation, because that allows me to just kind of like lay back, hang out and not worry about anything at all. And not so many people when they get pregnant on accident, it happens right during their period or right after they, they finish bleeding. Yeah. That's a really interesting misconception actually that I wanted to talk to you. 
you, what you just said it. Yeah, you yeah. can get pregnant if you're bleeding and yeah, you have sex and somebody absolutely. ejaculates inside you while you're bleeding. Mm-hmm. I didn't used to know that. I used to yep. think that meant it's all good and it's all safe. But, but so no. many people think that it's impossible to get pregnant while you're bleeding. And like, that's not the time. It's the time after you confirm ovulation in the later half of a woman's menstrual cycle. Totally. I know multiple people that that has actually happened to who thought it was safe and then they got pregnant and they're like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. So it's possible. So we're coming here to the close, but I want to hit a couple other questions that I was asked. Just run through them rapid fire. One of the most common mistakes that often results in pregnancy is a man will ejaculate during sex and then will clean up, wash up, and then maybe an hour later or two hours later have sex again with the same person and think that it's fine. And even if they don't ejaculate inside the person, what can happen is healthy, viable sperm will stay in the urethral canal of the penis alive for up to four and a half, possibly even five hours after that first ejaculation. So if you have sex again a couple hours later, even if you've peed, it's possible that there are still some healthy sperm in your urethra that will come out, possibly in pre-cum or possibly just will come out while you're having sex again. And so that is a major, major thing to be aware of. If you've ejaculated once, you do not want to have unprotected sex again with somebody while they're in their fertile window. Like super, super important. And also to clear up, I found some research that says that if a man urinates after ejaculation, just to be clear, it doesn't necessarily remove all of the viable sperm from the urethra. So useful, useful to know. I didn't actually know that. I thought the, I thought the urine did. Another question I got was, if a woman pees after sex, does it, where the man ejaculates inside, does it reduce the chance of pregnancy? No, definitely not, because the, <laughs> the vaginal canal is a totally different place than the urethra. And again, keep sperm off your vulva and out of your vagina if you want to avoid pregnancy. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know what the vulva word means, can you just, what is the vulva? Yeah. The vulva is all the external genitalia of a woman. So like when a woman's just like laying down or standing in front of the mirror, it's like what you can see. It's like where the pubic hair lies, where her lips are. Um, it's the parts of the, the, the urethra, the vaginal opening, etc. The vulva is all that external genitalia. Yeah. And this, this comes into another one of the most common mistakes people make with this is ejaculating near or around the vulva, even not just on, but I found some research showing that viable sperm can live on the skin in that part of the body, uh, hypothetically up until an hour after the ejaculatory orgasm, which is pretty wild, which is pretty wild. And that means like if you ejaculate on the inside of somebody's thigh and then you're laying around on bed and you like wipe it up with a towel, like there's possibly still some sperm there. And if a hand goes to the thigh and then goes, touches the vaginal canal again, it's possible to transfer that viable sperm there and pregnancy could potentially result from that. Yeah. And so again, pregnancy only happens when a woman, when a woman is in her fertile window. And so when she is in her fertile window, she will have those cervical fluids that are there that help keep sperm alive. That's why the cervical fluids change. It's the conduit of taking the sperm into the vagina and getting it to the uterine tube for fertilization. So if she's in her fertile window and she has those fluids that are there to help keep sperm alive, and then you ejaculate on or near her vulva and they get in contact with those fluids, Mm -hmm. that's what can get her pregnant. Yeah. If it gets back into inside her. Yeah. That's how I got pregnant. Yeah. Many years ago. Yeah. So one of the other most common mistakes, then this one's entirely on the the responsibility of the men is that a man will not have the full understanding and abilities to control his ejaculatory orgasm and then will not pull out quick enough and a little bit of sperm will come out in their ejaculation inside of the woman's vagina. And that to me is just like ridiculous. And you can't see it, but Naima just shook her head. This actually happens to a massively, shockingly, disturbingly high percentage of women with men. And I actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull up those statistics because I did some research on it. So, Yeah. And like, this is a thing that is huge. This happens to so many women. And it's also another reason why I ended up getting pregnant too years ago is because my partner didn't pull out in enough time. And so the sperm got on my vulva and then I ended up winding up getting pregnant. And so like my, my advice would be like, if there is men, if there is any doubt you're having that you're not able to control your sperm or your ejaculate, like do not be having unprotected sex. 
just don't be doing that. And especially during the fertile window, like don't be having unprotected sex during the fertile window. Use a barrier method, like take away the pressure or the chance to do it or like take Taylor's course and learn and practice and become embodied to be able to do that. And women, if there's any doubt, any little doubt that you have in your man to to do that, like take care of yourself and use a barrier method. Or there are so many ways to enjoy having sex that do not involve penis and vagina penetration and like have fun in these other ways. Like take care of yourselves. Yeah. And so if you're sitting here thinking, oh, that probably doesn't happen that often. Let me hit you with some statistics from the study that I did personally surveying many hundreds of women who are on my email list. I asked them this question. Well, thousands of people on my email list, but many hundreds of women responded to this question. The question was, has a man ever ejaculated ejaculated inside you when you didn't want him to? Just take a moment and think like what this percentage must be. 62% of these women said that a man has ejaculated inside them when they didn't want him to 62 fucking percent. That's, that's fucking crazy. That's just ridiculous, absurd, like bad. That's bad. Don't ever fucking do that. The second question I asked was, have you ever told a man not to ejaculate inside you, but then he did anyways. And take a moment to just think about what this percentage would be. 48% of these women, that's basically half of these women said that they told a man not to ejaculate inside them and then he did anyways, which is just like, it's it's sickening, it's disturbing, it's frustrating, it's all kinds of stuff. Third question was, have you ever felt pressured by a man to have sex with him without a condom? 75% of women said yeah. And so there's a lot of work to do in the world still because these experiences are not good. These are not good and we need to change this. We need to change this together. And I just wanted to share that just to like drive this home that this shit actually happens. You know, it's not just a couple people. It's actually the majority or at least half of women. And this is another reason why it's so freaking important to have the knowledge of our bodies, to have understanding of our reproductive health and our fertility and to be making wise choices and having consensual conversations with one another to help keep each other safe and in full consent, the full duration of a sexual experience. So let's end on on two things. Last question for you. Naima, what is it like to be, this is coming from a woman on my email list. What is it like for you to be with a man who practices semen retention? Oh, it's the fucking best. Like it so is because, yeah, it, it in regards to everything that we were just discussing, like I trust Taylor through our relationship that we built together, but also like over time getting to know him and learn from him. Like I trust him to not ejaculate when he doesn't want to. Like, I trust his ability to control and retain. And that, wow, like that has been life-changing for me, truly, to be able to feel like my partner, I can trust to listen to me and my boundaries and what I'm saying yes and no to. Like, Mm -hmm. that is huge. So in terms of like fertility, I don't have to worry all of the time that I'm going to accidentally get like shot up with sperm, which has fucking happened to me in my life. And it's not good. The second thing I would say too, of just like the benefits also is like sex has the, the goal of sex. The way I would say in my previous sex life, a lot of the goal was around ejaculation and orgasm in general for both people, but having Taylor do semen retention and his goal during sex is to not always have an ejaculatory orgasm has entirely changed our sexual experience with one another. Because I would say a lot of the times with a lot of people that that a man's ejaculation is what ends the sexual experience. Um, And that's just not the case for us. So it's like opened up a whole new variety of exploration with one another that is non-goal oriented and where we can explore other realms together sexually that is just like so juicy and cosmic and delicious. So Mm. it's fantastic. Mm, mm, mm. (sighs) Yeah. Juicy, cosmic, delicious. Babe, thank you so much for being here for this podcast, for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. Any last thing you want to say? Hmm. I would say that if you're a woman or a man that you would like to try practicing the fertility awareness method, but there's a little bit of like, oh, this feels like a lot to learn, or I don't know if I can trust it or this and that. Like one, I'd say like, do your own research and like be a sovereign human and like figure out what's it true yes for you or not. And also like it is easier than you think. It truly is. It does take that initial time and effort and input of energy, but the the 
benefits that you get out of this are just like an incredible return of investment of that time. So I really encourage you to check it out. Yeah. And if you're a man still listening, I want to say, fuck yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for investing your time and your life energy into learning about all this stuff. It's super, super, super important. And if you want to dive into the practice of semen retention, I'll put some links to that in the show notes as well. So Naima, if people want to find you, where can they go next? Yeah, I would advise you to go to my website or my Instagram. From there, you can see my different courses that I have about learning about your menstrual cycle. And one of them particularly is all about learning the fertility awareness method. It's a great course. I highly recommend it if you're interested in learning this method. And as well, you'll be able to check out all my different offerings because, to be honest, I actually don't do fertility awareness and reproductive health uh, full on these days. I tend to focus on sex coaching and public wellness as well, but you can see all my offerings there. Awesome. We'll have all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, babe, for being here. It's been a joy to spend this time with you. Thank you, everybody listening. And we'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Thank you.